Man, this was another great uh, week in music history, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, just uh, so much happened way back when, you know? Yeah, it's uh, sometimes like a, a, last week, again, we had a, an embarrassment of riches, and it's the same thing this week. So we had to really narrow it down where we're going to travel back to. But uh, I think it's going to be really fun. Well, the good news is, is that we can always go back, right? Like maybe next year at this time, we can visit another really cool thing. You know what I mean? Oh, exactly right. But I think we should go back to uh, May 17th, 1963 first. And then maybe we can go backwards in time this week. And then we'll go to 1960. And then I think we should save 1958 for the end, don't you? Yeah, because it's a bit of a, a bit of a... A firestorm. <laughs> Absolutely. Rock and roll's first great <laughs> firestorm, in fact. So, uh, you ready for a road trip, my friend? I'm always ready, Tony. I'm always ready. I got the snacks. We're good to go. All right, let's do it. Maps? Check. Snacks? Double check. Tunes? Check. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Bashman. And we are cruising the rock and roll highway in our Wayback Music Machine. Are you ready, my friend? I sure am. I have the feeling this is going to be the start of a great adventure. Kind of a magical mystery tour. Somehow I knew you were going to say that. You know what? I think we should travel back to May 17th, 1963, because a pretty major folk festival started on May 17th, 1963. It was the Monterey Folk Festival, and uh, we'll talk about that once we time travel back, but uh, what a what a major event, especially with the headliners in that show. Did you get tickets? Well, you know what? I've got virtual tickets. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. So, uh, do you want to punch it in, uh, 1963, May 17th? Over, under, around and through, Pell-Mell travels pleasure to you. Pell-Mell's natural mildness is friendly to your taste. Yes, Pell-Mell's natural mildness is so friendly to your taste. See for yourself. Pell-Mell's famous length travels the smoke naturally over, under, around, and through the finest tobaccos money can buy and makes it mild. Makes it mild, but does not filter out that satisfying flavor. Over, under, around, and through. Pell-Mell travels pleasure to you. Pell-Mell's natural mildness is so friendly to your taste. Buy Pell-Mell famous cigarettes. Outstanding. And they are mild. Man, I could listen to those old radio commercials all day and all night. I love them. They're hilarious. They're they're great. Yeah, they are great. And uh, obviously they didn't have the same strict rules that we have today. No, I, like, I, I, I don't think so, but they sure are entertaining. They're great. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we made it, and here we are at the first ever Monterey Folk Festival. It's taking place over the next three days here in Monterey, California. And uh, what a lineup on this thing, eh? Do you want to, who's on the lineup? Do you have the program there? I do have the program, and uh, it's, it's, it's a, wow, it's just a wow. Peter, Paul, and Mary... The Weavers, which featured, of course, Pete Seeger. The Dillards, 
Love the Dillards. Believe it or not, got lots of their albums. Uh, Roscoe Holcomb, the Rooftop Singers, the new Lost City Ramblers. Bob freaking Dylan makes his West Coast uh, debut. And um, a little-known singer who's actually not on the main program, and she kind of sang in a second stage, uh, Janis Joplin. And you may have heard of her. Yeah, and she was, because everybody thought that she made her um, debut in 1967 at this festival, but she actually sang in 1963. Uh, and wasn't she, she chosen? She was chosen or something, right? It was some kind of second stage thing. And Yeah, she won three Hootenanny contests. Three. Uh, so that's kind of cool that uh, and, and, and reports from the time say that everybody just really dug what she was doing. And how could you not? I mean, I would love to hear her do folk music, man. Oh, uh, exactly. Exactly. And uh, some other people were here, too. Jerry Garcia was here. That's right. Without the Grateful Dead, though. No, that's right. And he was playing uh, like bluegrass music and stuff. He had a banjo. And, and uh, who was he with? Do you remember? No, do you do you have that? I oh, don't have uh, it here, but they were doing uh, bluegrass stuff, like with a banjo and a guitar. Like they weren't even yeah. playing uh, super interesting, you know. Uh, some of the names who are here, but uh, for sure, Bob Dylan still wasn't really, really known at this point. But this really uh, kicked off his career in the United States. Well, he did four songs. He did "Talking John Birch Society Blues," which was never released at the time. "Masters of War." One of my favorite songs, A Hard Rains Are Gonna Fall. And with God on Our Side, he did that with Joan Baez. And just as a side note, did you ever hear, the, did you ever hear how he described writing It's a Hard Rains Are Gonna Fall? No. He said he had a bunch of verses from other songs that he couldn't finish. So he just took them all together and he sewed them together and he got A Hard Rains Are Gonna Fall. There you go. Oh, Wow. Yeah, and uh, the other Otis, uh, I mean, some of the people who came after this, right? Like, you know, in three or four years from now, you've got people like Otis Redding making an appearance at the Monterey Mm -hmm. Festival, um, The Who, Jimi Hendrix. So this first festival really started something, didn't it? But it it changed, don't you think? I mean, it went from having Peter, Paul, and Mary. Well, you know what, though? Even in 67, they had Ravi Shankar, so... Yeah, I suppose it did change, though, because the, in 63, it was called the Monterey Folk Festival. But mm-hmm. what? But in 67, it was called the Monterey Pop Festival, wasn't it? Didn't That's they? right, yeah. yeah. Well, pop sold more records. But don't forget, at this time, folk was massive. I mean, I think, nice segue to the charts. If you look at the charts at the time, um, you know, number three is Peter, Paul, and Mary with Puff the Magic Dragon. Oh, um, that's right. All the, I love all the controversy over Puff the Magic Dragon. And, oh, my goodness. And then he says, you know, when the he says, no, it's just a song about a dragon named Puff. It's not about drugs. No. And it's, it, it's a song that all of us knew as kids. I don't know if you grew up with it. I sure did. And, oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, it's like losing the sky with diamonds. I don't know how many times Julian Lennon to this day has to go, it's about my painting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's still people who insist that Puff the Magic Dragon is uh, is a drug song. And uh, and they said, they've repeatedly said, no, it was not. So very interesting. But what, what else was on the charts that week? The Shirelles were at number five with Foolish Little Girl. Number four was the Beach Boys with Surfing USA. Three was Peter, Paul, and Mary. Two was a song I love, Little Peggy March with I Will Follow Him. Oh, yeah, that's a great song. She just passed away, right? I think so, yeah. 
And number one is the controversial. Well, it's controversial now. At the time, it was just a novelty hit. A guy named Jimmy Soul with the song, If You Want to Be Happy. Do you know that one? I don't. So what's the controversy behind that? Well, the song goes, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make a pretty woman your wife. Oh, this is my I, personal point of view. I, I do know that song. I just didn't know the title. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. <laughs> it was revived in the 80s in England because I think it was the specials that had a big hit with it. They kind of redid it. But, I mean, you would never hear that on the radio. Now. <laughs> no. But uh, this festival, like, just such a big influence on the career of people like uh, Bob Dylan. Didn't uh, his album get released on Columbia within within less than two weeks of this, right? And it went straight into the top ten. I yeah. mean, it was it was a game changer, to borrow a phrase. Um, I mean, also you have people like Jerry Garcia starting to form bands that became the Grateful Dead, who, although never sold tremendous amounts of records, became one of the most respected bands of all time, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, and it's the start of the Monterey Pop, or well, Monterey Pop Festival would, would would grow out of this folk festival. So yeah, it's a very significant date. And, and you know what, Tony? It's a date that not many people talk about. No, no. And you know, I tracked down. I, I actually saw a picture of uh, Janis Joplin uh, performing there. And uh, oh, did you? Yeah. So they do, they do have a, a one photo anyway of Janis Joplin up on the stage, and uh, almost actually unrecognizable compared to the way she looked later. Very interesting. How do you mean? I'm just curious. Well, just, uh, either it's hard to tell from the photo. She either had her hair tied back or her hair was much shorter. Oh, like if and she wasn't dressed like we think of Janis Joplin in 1967, right? So she was wearing like a pair of chinos almost and a and a t-shirt. Um, so I wouldn't have known if you hadn't uh, if if uh, they hadn't said that was Janis Joplin, I would have had no idea. It it just wouldn't have dawned on me that that was her so very interesting photo of her oh i'd like to i'm going to google that after uh, we're finished because i want to see about it i didn't see that when i was doing my research but uh uh, have you ever have you seen that documentary on the train the hippie train or whatever it was called that went across canada in 69 yes jen (laughs) she's great in that that's so interesting isn't it that whole time period fascinating i mean it's just I mean, here's this, one of these hippies, the band, and then there's Ian and Sylvia Tyson. Really? <laughs> Love those two. Love them. Love yeah, them. me too. Me too. Well, I think uh, it's just about time to uh, jump back to 1960. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's something interesting, something brewing, eh? Oh, something huge that almost spelled the demise of rock and roll. Uh, yeah. It's... Uh, <laughs> So we're going to, let's jump back to May 19th, 1960, punch that in, and then we will, um, we'll talk about it when we get there. Well, here we are. Uh, It's May 19th, 1960, and Alan Freed, the famous American DJ, has just been indicted, along with seven other DJs, for accepting over $30,000 in payola from six different record companies. You know, this, it's hard to express just how influential Alan Freed was, but this was the beginning of the end for him. And, and uh, we'll talk about his death in a, in a minute, but, you know, he was accused of taking payola. And um, do you want to explain to people listening uh, what payola means, just in case anybody's not sure? Because payola was just about the end of rock and roll in its infancy. I mean, there was a noticeable dip in in rock and roll radio play when this scandal broke and even album sales weren't there 
Well, so payola basically is pay for play. That's I mean, right. If, you know, with the record companies. So keep in mind that in 1950, there were 250 disc jockeys in the U.S. By 57, there was over 5,000. That means a lot of competition on the airways, and you want to get your song heard, and you want to get it heard on the right station. So what they used to do was the more influential disc jockeys would get, you know, swag, money, um, concert tickets, uh, all sorts of stuff. Just if you'd play the records on this label, you know. So there was a big thing back in the. Uh, well, there's also like, you know, in the 50s, and I, I'm going to say to you something controversial, it didn't stop after this whole big thing. I mean, when I worked in radio, I was aware of payola. I never took it, folks, because I was in a small station, but payola existed, right? And, yeah. it, and it may take different forms, but here in the 50s, it was money, it was percentages of concert tours, it was very lavish trips, free records. It could be in any number of things, right? So that's what happened. And, I, my, and then the U.S., a House Oversight Committee, they decided to fix things, right? Well, and it was it was very much like what you think of when you see like mafia movies. There would be a guy with an envelope full of cash coming to the radio station, talking to the DJ. And one thing that people have to remember is here, you know, in um, 1960, like DJ still determined their own set lists it's not like today where everything is is predetermined back then the dj ruled and they determined what uh they were going to play and that's um so for instance when elvis presley uh that's all right mama uh, in you know after he recorded that at sun studios like the dj in memphis uh played it 14 times in three hours Right. And and because right. it just took off. So DJs had control over what records played. And a guy like Alan Freed, who was you know probably the most influential DJ in the country, had so much ability to make or break a career, to send a record to number one just based on his recommendations. And uh, obviously people figured that out and they were starting to, like you say, uh, not only cash, but all kinds of incentives. And, and that became known as payola. There was there was an undercurrent of racism here too because Alan Freed would play black artists. That's right. He would play Little Richard. I mean, I, I, you know, the other DJ that was implicated was Dick Clark. Now, Dick Clark didn't play the R and B stuff. He would play these horrible white versions of great. And I always go back to it. My favorite example is Pat Boone. That's right. Do, doing Tutti Frutti. You know, and here's here's Little Richard's. You know, you put the needle on the record and your your your, your, sp- your speakers explode. Then you put it on, you know, Pat Boone. It's like a what? Papalupa. Oh yeah, it's a swing version, basically. And swing. Uh, and <laughs> well, it wasn't the story that uh, Little Richard heard Pat Boone's version of his song while he was working as a dishwasher. That's right. And he, That's right. You know, and uh, those two. What a relationship between uh, Little Richard and and Pat Boone. It's a little bit symbiotic. Uh, you know, because little Richard fully understood that he had to have a guy like Pat Boone around to, you know, to, to get his songs heard. I mean, it really did help him in the long run, as frustrating as it was, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's horrible. But, but you know, things that I think I read an interview with little Richard. He was more angry when Disney bought the rights to the song and had Donald Duck singing it than he was when Pat Boone did it. Yeah, I, I understand that. <laughs> The other thing you got to keep in mind, Tony, is at this time, DJs were making about 50 bucks a week. They weren't extremely well paid. So it was very easy to tempt them with 500 bucks to 
you know, playing with records. But so Alan Freed just, he dug his own grave because A, he was playing these black R&B artists. And he also, I mean, I, I read one description here that he, um, unlike Pat um, Dick Clark, who was very squeaky clean and handsome and polite, you know, Freed looked like he was staying up all night all the time. He, he just he looked like he was, you know, he's abrasive and he was, uh, he looked dangerous in some ways. I mean, he wasn't dangerous, but he looked mm-hmm. crazy, you know? Yeah. And he, I mean, he ended up, of course, payola cost Alan Freed his career. That's right. And he ended up moving to California with his family. But the, the tragic part is he was never able to, to recapture that. You know, he, he worked a little bit, but he died when he was 43 years old. Yeah. Tragic. You know, tragic. and this, this payola scandal was the start of the end for him. Yeah, it really was. And you said something earlier on about this is the time when DJs were programming their own, and and that would that stayed true until the '90s. And in Canada right now, with the way Canada works, with you know three or four on two chain chorus radio and all that, there's basically four people programming what we hear on the radio. Mm-hmm. Just so you know, I mean, it's just it's really. I, I prefer the old ways. I used to like getting up in the morning. We had a station here in Toronto called Chum. And, you know, Jungle J. Nelson would play certain stuff. You, 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 would knew, you knew what the DJ was going to play. Anyways, so I, I kind of miss all that. So, Yeah, wasn't, wasn't Chum the radio station that also had, uh, like, uh, the, the Italian stuff on it, too? Oh, that's, um, no, that was, ha, 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 I'll let you know. Yeah. That was a great station. That's still in operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the name of the station. It just went right out of my head. Chin, Chin. Oh, C-H-I-N, Chin, that's chin. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because my grandfather used to listen to that. Uh, my grandfather oh, was Italian, yeah. It's great. It was great stuff. I mean, they had they used to have these picnics at this, the exhibition called the Chin Family Picnic. That's right. Yeah, did you, it was great because it would have all these different cultures and foods and dance. and It was really cool. I yeah. loved it. I loved actually went to one of those Chin Picnics. and uh, Did you? Yeah, when my son was... Um, Gosh, my youngest son would have been about twelve, maybe, and he was com- he was in a bicycle race at the gym <laughs> picnic. <laughs> did he win? Uh, you know what? He actually did because there was very little competition. So, <laughs> <laughs> congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> that was his first first career win in his competitive cycling career. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to start somewhere, right? Oh, that's right. But um, yeah, Paola was uh, almost the end of, of rock and roll. I mean, it really affected everything from radio play to record sales for a little while. There was a little blip, but you couldn't keep this music down, you know? Well, look at the top five the week that this kind of broke. Number five is the great Jackie Wilson with Night. Number four is the, um, well, you know, I grew up listening to the song, but man, it puts me to sleep now. The Brothers Four with Greenfields. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> once there was Jimmy Jones with Good Time and Elvis Presley, number two, with Stuck on You, which had been number one. And number one was um, Kathy's Clown by the Everly Brothers. But creeping in the top 10 is Anita Bryant with Paper Roses, which yes. do you remember was a hit in the 70s for Marie Osmond? I do remember that, actually. Yep. Yeah. And, and a guy named Jack Scott, who was from Windsor, Canadian guy. He's fantastic. Great rockabilly. He was a number 11 with Burning Bridges. Great song. That'll be on the Spotify list. Trust me. Oh, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait to hear the Spotify list when we get back home. And folks, if you're not aware, every episode, Aaron makes up a uh, Spotify playlist and we post that on social media. We also post it in the show notes. And uh, every song has, 
you know, there's always a road trip song on there, isn't there? Every time. First one is always about the road, yeah. Yeah, and then there are songs that might be related to something we've discussed, or uh, I can see you, uh, you know, uh, thinking right now about some of the tunes that are going to be on there. I am. (laughs) You know me well. You know me well, my friend. You know me well. Well, I think uh, it's a good time now uh, that we should time travel again. And what do you think? This one... We had to save this for last, Aaron. Uh, let's. You ready to go back to May twenty second, nineteen fifty eight? I I can't. This is. Wild. Am I ready? Never. I mean, for this this event, I'm not ready. I'm ready to go. In the, you know, the way back machine, way back music machine. But this is a bit of dice throw. But sure, let's go. Yeah, let's travel back uh, to May twenty second, nineteen fifty eight, and we're going to be talking about rock and roll's first great scandal. So. Punch it in. What a scandal. Yeah, what what a a scandal, scandal for sure. Way to set the bar high. (laughs) All right, y'all set? Yep. Okay, here we go. Well, where are you going with that lunchbox? Are you going to school? Oh, you're getting ready for school. Well, that's great. Well, now look, Clarabella, if you're getting ready for school, here. Here's a swell dessert that you can take along with you. A package of two big Hostess Twinkies. And I, what? I, oh, kids, look here. Carbell has his whole lunchbox just filled with Hostess Twinkies. And kids, Hostess Twinkies are one of the most delicious desserts we've ever had here in Duty Bell. And they come two in a package, two big ones. Oh, yes, you're so right, hottie. Look here, kids. You know, these Hostess Twinkies are really terrific. The delicious sponge cake fingers just melt in your mouth like cotton candy. And see here. Inside every Hostess Twinkie, there's a smooth cream filling that's really out of this world. Well, boys and girls, I know that you're all going to really love Hostess Twinkies as a dessert or your lunchbox or as a between-meal snack. And say for something really extra special, you ask Mom to serve Hostess Twinkies with ice cream or fruits. So, kids, you ask Mom to buy some Hostess Twinkies the next time she goes to the store. And you know, boys and girls, in lots and lots of stores, you'll find Hostess Twinkies on a swell stand like this. You ask Mom to look for the picture of the Hostess Lady inside the heart. It's on every Hostess counter display. Howdy doody. I loved Howdy Doody. I grew up with it. I mean, obviously it repeats, and when they kind of brought it back in the uh, 70s, Trivia question, Tony. I know you never saw the show, but trivia question. Who played Clarabella the Clown on the original Howdy Doody show? Oh, I have no idea. You ready? Yep. Captain Kangaroo. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, there's he was Clarabella the Clown. You know, I listening to that commercial, I just, there. there's an example of product placement rules not being too strict. Like, talk about shilling for a product. Well, and, and the only thing missing is, and it's good for you too, Timmy, you know. Yeah, that's right. Like it's a, it's a vegetable howdy. substitute. Yep. <laughs> Add fruit. <laughs> oh man. But well, yeah, what a great, uh, what, what a great little snippet in time. I love it. I love it. Well, here we are. It's uh, May 22nd, 1958, and we've jumped across the pond again. We seem to spend a lot of time hopping over to uh, London, England, but what can you say? We're at Heathrow Airport, and uh, we're about to uh, witness a press conference, uh, like an interview at the airport, that is going to 
destroy a famous rock and roll singer's career in about 10 minutes. And of course, I'm talking about Jerry Lee Lewis arriving for a 30-day tour of uh, England. And of course, he's bringing along his new bride, 13-year-old Myra Gale Brown. And his, you know, his team tried to convince him not to bring Myra. But he said, no, she's coming. And he didn't think it would be a problem. And they're doing the interview and they notice this young girl chewing gum beside Jerry Lee and they ask her who she was. And of course she says, I'm his wife and And, and cousin. (laughs) Yes. And cousin. And it gets stranger folks. But then I think what really did it was her. She said something along the lines of, you know, you can get married at 10 back home if you can find a husband. And they, first of all, Jerry Lee said that she was 15 in this press conference, mm-hmm. he lied about her age. I think, you know, it clicked. Oh yeah. I can't say she's 13, but, um, because, because 15 sounds much better than 13. Well, that's right. But this, <laughs> this set off a firestorm in, uh, in England. I mean, they, it, uh, you know, they had parliament convened, uh, to figure out what they were going to do. Cause they weren't sure if Jerry Lee Lewis was breaking any laws here. Um, at his at his first show, people were in the audience cat calling him, you know, cradle robber and stuff like that. And I mean, he just lost it and and his shows were half full and and yet the anticipation over this tour was massive. And Jerry Lee was supposed to be the heir apparent to Elvis, who had just uh, you know was getting ready to go in the military and and he just destroyed his career in a period of about ten minutes. I've always found this so fascinating. Yeah, if you want to, if you, if, if, for those of you out there who get famous and you want to lose all that fame, this is a good step. I mean, this is, um, he, you know what's funny though, and I'll get back to the charts in a minute. The number one record that week was Poor Little Fool. Oh. So that's pretty apt. Yeah, that is. That is pretty Perfect apt. number one. But, uh, poor Jerry Lee. Yeah, so he, you know, they ended up going to their hotel and, and they couldn't leave the hotel. There were protesters outside. Um, like I said, they convened Parliament to try to figure out what they do. And finally they came and said, we want you to go home. And um, he wasn't expecting the story to follow him home, but he landed back home in the United States and it became a firestorm. But you know what was even more interesting, Aaron, was the way his... Uh, you talk about a career destroying move. He was, his appearance fee in 1958 was $10,000 a night at that time. Mm-hmm. That's out like, that's unbelievable money in 1958. And within a matter of a couple of weeks, he couldn't even get gigs for $250. But the thing is, I'm glad that people reacted that way. Oh, I, me too. I, think, me I too. think I'd be more concerned if people kind of shrugged it off, but people had a right to, this is like, as you know, I work in my field of work as a children's aid worker. I hear the story and my, I'm, I'm joking about it because it's so darn uncomfortable and so wrong that sometimes I have to I have to find some kind of laughter because it's just wow, you know? Well, yeah. And I mean, the story gets stranger, too, because her father was the bass player in his band. It was his cousin who played bass in his band. It was wild and he was living at their house have you seen uh, the the movie with dennis quaid great balls of fire mm-hmm. i did yeah yeah they did a really good job of portraying that um 
you know, there were some differences, especially in the England part, like in the movie where he tells them, you know, he flips them off. I don't think he did it to quite that extent in real life when he was leaving, but uh, it, uh, unbelievable. Well, and then it gets even more unbelievable that in 2012, he marries the ex-wife of his first cousin, <laughs> whose name is Rusty Brown. He marries Judith Brown. Now, Rusty Brown happened to be the brother to Myra. Oh, that's wild. I, yeah. <laughs> it's just, oh my gosh, did you, what is wrong with you? And, and, and that's, what? what is that, seven, eh? That's marriage number seven, I think, in 2000. Oh, seven or eight. Seven or eight, I, yeah. I lost track, but unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, no, that movie's great. I mean, it's, I mean, I think they, they've embellished some pieces and stuff, but I'll tell you, my mom saw him uh, in Massey Hall, and she was one of the, one of the only concerts she ever walked out of because he, she said he was so verbally abusive to the audience. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, about half the audience walked out. Was that? And this what? was prior to this big controversy. This is as he was on his rise up. Oh, okay. It wasn't when he came back in the late '60s. No, no, no. This was this was in the you know before. It would have been '57 or '56. She saw him, and and she said it was horrible. He was just obscene. So she, you know, she she and my dad locked out. Yeah, like he always, uh, you know, he marched to the beat of his own drum. That was for sure because they. No, they tried to convince him not to bring her to England, but he would have none of it. And um, he, uh, controversy with him through his whole life, right? But uh, this destroyed his rock and roll career. He did have a bit of success in the country music charts in the 60s, though, didn't he? Yeah, but he never had another, he had a, a, a number 30 hit in 1960 covering what I'd say, what I say. That's and right. Then, right. And then he never, he had a one top 40 hit in the late 60s of, uh, one song, but he never had the charts. He never made the charts in England again, certainly not. And to this day, and I listen to a lot of UK radio, I don't hear him. I don't hear Elvis, Eddie Cochran, the Everly, I heard the Everly Brothers today. You don't hear a lot of Jerry Lee there. I think they've never really forgiven him. And you're right, he did have some country hits. I don't know why country, they seem to be more forgiving. He had hits well into the 80s on the country charts. So mm-hmm. there you go. And he was supposed to um, re- go into the studio last March before the pandemic started to work on a gospel album, but I don't think anything happened. But he's, uh, what, 85, 86 Well, now? you know who his cousin is, right? Oh, uh, Jimmy Swaggart. And the other cousin, Mickey Gilly. Oh, okay. So, and, and, and this is, look, I'm not going to defend Jimmy Swaggart. This is not about, but man, can he play the piano? Yeah. <laughs> He's a really, I think he's better than Jerry Lee. He's a hell of a pianist, you know? Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. I mean, shouldn't say hell of a Jimmy Swag, because he was such a saintly man. Joking. <laughs> <laughs> so what was on the, uh, what was on the charts this week? Well, see, this is the funny thing, right? This is, this is, you know, you know, there were, we're talking about rock and roll in its infancy, but you had number five was Kale and Twin, the Kale and Twins. With a song called When. Wait do you hear that one, folks. Um, Elvis Presley, Hard-Headed Woman. I love that song. Um, Splish Splash, Bobby Darren. Oh, I love Bobby Pres- Darren. I do too. Did you ever see uh, the movie about him? With uh, Kevin, Kevin Spacey? Spacey? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great movie. Great film. Great film. I love Bobby Darren. One of my all-time favorites. And Pe- uh, Perez Prado and his orchestra. And number two with Patricia. And number one, as I said, was Ricky Nelson. Poor little fool. <laughs> Perfect, Ricky. Perfect. Yes. Um, 
Ricky Nelson, someone we should talk about one day. You, you know, that, that, that one song he had in the 70s that was a big hit called uh, Garden Party. Yes. I used to sing uh, Garden Party when I, in my one-man band days, actually. I did Did that. you really? Yeah, that was on my set list. I love that song. I do, too. I love that song, too. Great cool. song. Well, Great song. I, I love the references to uh, John Lennon in there and Yoko. and Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you if you're, that was my next question, but you, you're one step ahead of me, my friend, always. <laughs> well, this has been uh, another fantastic road trip. Uh, what do you say we uh, go into the present and uh, we'll listen to something that the uh, kids are listening to today? And you're going to be nice to me, right? I will be nice. I'll, I'll be <laughs> semi-nice. How's that? <laughs> All right. Do you want to punch in 2021 and uh, we'll head back? It's no no one who's saying on um, the mass singer, right? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right, here we go. Okay, here we are in uh, 2021, and it's that time, Aaron, when one of us picks something from the charts and uh, gets the other one to listen to it. So, are you ready? I've picked something pretty interesting for you, I think. I, I can see that, yeah. <laughs> okay, so just to let the uh, people at home know, I have picked a Maroon 5 song with special guest Megan the Stallion and Beautiful Mistakes. So why don't you take a listen to that, my friend, and then uh, we'll be right back with your reactions. Well, as always, the lack of expression on your face um, said said volumes, spoke volumes. So uh, let's hear your thoughts, sir, on uh, this song you, by Maroon do you 5. Ever watch, uh, do you ever watch the Animaniacs, by any chance? Yes. Do you remember the line, you've watched it, you can't unwatch it. Um, <laughs> You'll never get this three and a half minutes back, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay, here's the thing. I took my daughter to see Maroon 5 in concert. Uh, Emily, so she would have been, she's 25 now, so probably she was 15, 14. And they were good. You know, uh, they, they could sing, they played instruments, they were a real band. And I like the first two or three Maroon 5 albums. So do frankly. I. So do I. In fact, like one of, you know, uh, songs like Sunday Morning, that tribute they did to Stevie Wonder, that is a great song. Just a great song. Brilliant. So when did he turn into Hal from uh, 20, 2001 Space Odyssey? Like he, he can sing. He has the pipes. He doesn't need the freaking audio tune. He just doesn't need it. And it just distracts. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what to say. To it. It, you know what? If you like it, that's fine, folks. It's not my cup of tea. Um, I don't think I'm going to be rushing out looking for a seven-inch vinyl of it. Um, and I don't know that I ever listened to it again. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, and, and I just thought, you know, this would be an interesting one to, to get your take on it because I enjoyed Maroon 5 a lot, actually, uh, back in the day as well. And uh, they had some brilliant songs. And like you say, he could sing. He's got a great voice, uh, you know, great band. And, and all of a sudden, like, why are they just doing this because that's what they need to do to get streams nowadays because it's not about album sales anymore I, I, I don't know and the best part about the video was when he flied when he flew through Randy's Donuts um, where's the rest of the band I didn't even see them are they not Maroon 5 anymore is it just him like what happened to the band yeah that's Adam true Levine? And, and yet the, and it's billed as Maroon 5 though it's not billed as Adam Levine right so I don't I, I didn't even mind that song that did Move Like Jagger 
Oh, I didn't even mind that. No, that I didn't great. mind that either. No. That was fine. Yeah. But this song. Yeah, no. I wonder that. That's a whole other discussion, eh? Why why they feel the need to do this? But uh, well, I'm uh, you know. I, I, I'll do the old American Bandstand thing. It's got a good beat, but I don't like the lyrics, so I'm going to give it a four. Like I don't know, it was off. <laughs> I concur wholeheartedly. So that that makes two of us. I guess we're just old souls, but uh, uh, I'm getting old. I'm getting older by the day, Tony. I tell you. Well, you know what? I I prefer to think of it as old souls with impeccable taste. How's that? Thank you. I I'm I'm going to say yes to that. Yes. 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 Me yes, too. yes. But you know, on a more positive note, what a what a fantastic road trip this week. It was great. We had a fun time, and then we. We learned lots. We visited some really cool places and some cool times. It was great. It was a fantastic trip. Yeah. And you know what? I wouldn't want to do it with anyone other than you, Tony. So well, it was fantastic. Same here. Same here. So I guess it'll be same time next week. We'll uh, hop back in rock and roll history, but uh, we're pulling up to your place now, pal. So uh, have a great week, my friend. Yeah, I'm going to just go in and listen to some Roxy music and try to, de- you know, cleanse myself. <laughs> That's right. Get that out of your head. I'm surprised that's sticking in your head. It left mine in about uh, two milliseconds after I listened to it. <laughs> listen, you have a great week yourself and drive safely, all right? All right. Sounds good. See you next week. Music for today's episode of the Wayback Music Machine podcast was written by Rick Denis. The show notes, chart selection, and Spotify playlist were created by Aaron Badgley. And the artwork, recording, editing, and sound production was done by Tony Stewart. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to tell a friend or two. And don't forget to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player to get the latest episodes automatically. And we'd love it if you would leave us a review. You can also engage with the show by going on our website and leaving us a voicemail. We may even play your voicemail on an upcoming episode. Thanks for taking this road trip with us, and we'll see you next time on the Wayback Music Machine Podcast. Hey, turn the radio up. I love this song. The Wayback Music Machine Podcast is a Stewie Tunes production.